Here we are. We are, we are back to another round of one topic, two rabbis, three plus opinions, a program born out of an ancient Jewish joke, the idea that there is so many more uh, ways to see an argument. And it's that joke that really stems from the way in which our tradition uh, crafted itself, that we do actually engage through argument, through different perspectives. Uh, my favorite uh, piece of all that is that the tangents of Talmud are often the most fruitful little pieces, that it's the thing that has nothing to do with what they're discussing, but they go off on that tangent and a cre- an argument is created and something beautiful is born. And so it isn't really just a joke. It is truly part of how we engage and grow inside of our tradition that we take what would be one topic and we see this huge plethora of perspective well, but it comes out of the joke two jews three opinions no yes but i'm saying i think the joke is stems from <laughs> from the fact that the, we have the, the more opinions than people opinions in the room to hold them even yes. like <laughs> that's exactly right exactly and so since um, we are whining about the darkness in the second week of december now <laughs> I think we're seven days in. We can call it week two of December. Right. Sure, we're, we're at the tipping point. Uh, we thought we would look at this idea of December in this country. And specifically, as Rabbi Bernstein and I were talking, we, we kind of think of it as the December dilemma. Can anyone here tell me what they think that December dilemma is? What do you do Ooh. when family members want a Christmas tree? We're going to go there. Robin, unmute and tell us. Or you can just write it in the chat if not. Oh, right. Can we hear her? I'm not sure that means going to work. So if you can just write it down in the chat, if you're... Yeah, just write it in the chat, then. We should probably call it the the day after Thanksgiving through New Year's dilemma, because that's more (laughs) rightfully uh, what What we're talking about. For sure. But we have this December dilemma, this dilemma of what it's like to be proud, practicing, identifying Jews inside of this secular Christian experience in this country. I don't know that I would call it the, a Christian celebration so much as it's more about the, the symbols and the pieces and all the experience that goes along with this secular Christian. Yeah, but, but essentially that it's a Christian country, whether we call it a secular Christian country or not. And that, what does that mean for us at specifically this time of year? Um, so I, at least for me, because it's when it seems it's when it's the most intense. As Jews, I think for us to be living in a in a country that most of the time is secular, and then this time of year becomes very intensely associated with the Christmas season. So I right. think that's and, and why we, it's December. And I think even more specifically is that there might be political undertones or other things that come out throughout the year percolate up about different kind of theology and values. But this is specifically that like full on lived experience that there's the symbols in front of you, that it changes the music on the radio, that the, the decorations, that everything really becomes this symbolic uh, just constant reminder. And um, and Robin says that th- that part of the dilemma is how do you prevent Hanukkah from becoming like a mini Christmas? That's part of the dilemma, sure. the challenge. And um, also dealing with Christmas, Hanukkah is not even mentioned right in the catalogs. Like you know, you don't. You're, there's not just like Christmas trees and then a little you know thing about Hanukkah. Like it's not. Oh uh, yeah, even, we had the holiday. Not the even holiday, there. Uh, uh, our choir growing up would have at school would be like the holiday uh, performance with I have a little dreidel <laughs> featuring 15 other songs about Christmas. So it was, I mean, that's it's all written true. by Jews. But, but yeah, yeah, I will say, so I must admit, right. I 
Some Jews love the holiday season. This December dilemma is a dilemma while also being something we appreciate. I, for one, love walking out and seeing so many lights. My daughter insists every night on driving all the way around the neighborhood to see the Elsa house because it looks exactly like Frozen. We love to see how many people are joyful, how much of the street feels more lit up, the residuals that the Jews get for writing all the Christmas songs, right? Like there's so many positive pieces, it almost feels like society is on a high, this joyful high during that month. So for some of us, at least for me, there's a dilemma for sure, and we should get into that, but there's also a really beautiful piece of this, that I, I feel so much sweetness in the air, and that people seem to be genuinely happier. The larger group seems genuinely happy during that time. All right, so th- those of y'all who know me know what I'm going to say, right? Yeah, right. I hate Christmas. I hate the Christmas season. I hate the Christmas music. I hate all the lights. I hate it all. I hate, hate. The, oh, everyone's nice to each other because it's Christmas. Like, how about we be nice to each other because we're supposed to be nice to each other? And rather than, this is the season where, where it's peace and love and, and, you know, for all humankind. Um, until, February, when we're not going to do that anymore because Christmas is like long over. Like, yeah, much like the Jews having a holiday to say I'm sorry as if we shouldn't be doing that all year. Except it's way easier to say I'm sorry, which is a really hard thing to do. It's really easier to do it when a bunch of people are all agreeing to do it at the same time. It's like, okay, one, two, three, go. Everybody do something super hard. But it's a season to be nice to each other. Like, Why? Why? If you, if you, not, if you don't believe this is the season that is so radically different because God got born, why should we be nicer to each other now than any other time of the year? And so, and he was talking about his daughter wanting to drive around and see the lights. And I remember, um, Eliana was four and we were living in Minnesota and we were driving the same route we drive every day, you know, home. And she goes, mommy, like what? And she says, I hate that gas station. And I said, well, first of all, we don't use the word hate. <laughs> but second of all, like, what's with the hate at the gas station? Why are you hating on the gas station? We pass the gas station every time we come home. And I looked over, and there was a massive blow-up, you know, six-foot Santa on top of the gas station. And, like, all of a sudden, like, I got it. She was saying, like, that's my gas station the rest of the year. And now... It's identifiably something that's not about me anymore. Like, why do they have to do that? I mean, that was my addition to the conversation. It was like, you know, I get it. Like, why do they have to do But she was saying, like, now I hate the gas station because what it's saying is it's not mine in a certain way anymore. And um, and I think that 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 awareness coupled with why is this season so special when what we're doing is really consuming – that's really what it's about is consuming. And so why, why, I don't know. I I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I do, I do hear this piece, right? I mean, I'm, I'm conflicted. (laughs) No, I'm I'm conflicted because so much of our experience is feeling like we belong, right? That's so much of all of our experience. It's Mm -hmm. one of the beautiful parts of where we live and being able to be in this space. And when my son comes home and asks yesterday, how does Santa Claus know not to come to our house? 
Now, I, I quickly went with the reverse of the Passover story and said the mezuzah. Like, they, they look, they see a mezuzah. But that's mainly because uh, I distinctly remember a story that my mother-in-law told me in which Jen, in first grade, said, uh, Mom, Santa's not real, right? And her mom said, yeah, don't tell the other kids, right? So there's this, there's this conflict inside of it of, like, <laughs> I want to help my kids, encourage them to see their experience and their identity, but also I really don't need them ruining it for other kids before we've had a chance to, you know, make deep relationships in the community. When it's like, oh yeah, the rabbi's kid told uh-huh. everyone Santa's is not no Santa. real. Could you imagine right. that happening? And, and at that, so I think part of it is that during this part of the year, suddenly there's a lot of not my holiday. Right. Like, and, like I belong here usually until now, until December. Right. And so well, now it starts, I don't know, the Thanksgiving or like the it, week right? before or the for week some people before who can't even help themselves. And I, and I, and so I do, I understand that piece of it and, and there is conflict to it. And I even remember as a kid, this moment where I was like, our holiday is the holiday of lights. And the Christian houses are way better at putting up lights than we are. Like what's, What's going on here? They must have gotten the lights part from well, us. Well, we're going to get there. We're going to so, we're going to so get that was that. there. But but I have to say, I'm I'm torn about this level of like dumping on the December part because a month and a half ago, my kid was running around in a costume with everyone else on Halloween, and we didn't seem to have any real problem. I remember growing up, the rabbi being like, "We don't dress up on Halloween if there is Hebrew school. Do not come here in a costume." But then all of my Jewish friends and I went trick-or-treating together. So what is it about Christmas and about the December part, but Halloween, they're like, oh, yeah, dress up like monsters and run around. That's well, totally good. Because Halloween is not related to a specific tradition. The, the Catholic Church reconstructed Halloween into All Hallows' Eve, but Sam Hain, the original October holiday was about beginning for the pagan tradition, that dark part of the year, the second half of the year. So it was about, you know, what you did to keep the, the spirits that were going to come, you know, that now that the second dark part of the year was here, that Sam Hain was all about lighting bonfires and doing things to keep the ghosts and goblins and, and spirits, um, you know, in their proper place. But it was still not Jewish. But I, of course it wasn't Jewish, but it wasn't like, Christmas, which is Christ Mass, like this is about Christ. It was, it's just not the same. It, I don't think it has the weight, Halloween, of being a completely other tradition. And really, Halloween in this country was made popular in the 50s by trick or treating. And it was really never about any kind of religious observance that, that started trick or treating. Right. So, so really what you're pointing at to here is not the notion that it's not a Jewish thing, is that it's an overtly supercharged other experience that makes Christmas almost an <laughs> allergy for so yes. many people. And, and associated very strongly with a different religious tradition, whereas Halloween, nobody like thought it was, oh, let's be pagan tonight. Like, yeah, but our first example was the Christmas tree. And then you said Christ Mass and this idea of the birth of Jesus. And so if we're talking about the birth of Jesus, why are we so anti-pine? It smells lovely. It makes us feel foresty. They even have an entire version of a soul of it, pine saw. They sell it at every market you can think of. Like, what is it that makes a tree then All right, so, so problematic? So we do agree. Hmm? So Mary is pointing out where we're going next, which is, so we do agree, Daniel and I, that um, two rabbis agreeing, imagine that, but we do agree that the 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 tree 
part of the Christmas you know, season and celebration and symbolism and whatever. The tree was pagan. So we know that. We know from really ancient times that um, in the winter, one of the ways you kind of combated the forces of darkness and of, of course, illness came also in the winter. Look at us with COVID, RSV, and pneumonia all hitting. We certainly get it. That um, wintertime meant illness, darkness, proximity to death, um, and nothing grows, so you know you, you you only exist on what you've grown unless you live in other parts of the world where things continue to grow in the winter. Um, but that's not where the Christmas tree is from, right? And the pagan tradition um, of the tree comes from those places where they would take evergreens and bring them into the home during that dead season as a symbol of life and as a symbol of you know, what is ever living um, for whatever that tradition, whatever your pagan tradition told you, connected you to what is ever living and ongoing, even under the snow and the frozen ground. So it, so the Catholic church then was converting a bunch of pagans because there was nothing other than the Catholic church in early Christianity, obviously, till the reformation. So the Catholic church took though that symbol. And if you're going to hang on to your pagans, who you've converted, you better give them their tree in the winter or you won't hang on to them very long, right? So they they replace, am I getting ahead of myself here with no, the no, S-O-N? So they replace the birth, uh, you know, the, the promise of light coming back with the evergreen, the return of the sun that is solstice in December 21st, right, is the solstice, the the sun starts, the light begins to return, the replacement of the birth of the sun, S-U-N, with the birth of the sun, S-O-N, the birth of the light that is Jesus, right? So they reconstructed, very brilliantly, um, the church did, the tree from being, you know, pagan symbolism to being Christian symbolism. And so it's actually not, even in any way originally a sign of Christianity or a symbol of Christianity. And by the way, this is not just something that happens inside of Christianity. There was this fascinating article that now, I mean, I'm literally thinking about it in this moment, so I would need to go afterwards and, and look further. There's this character of Enoch in our Bible. Many of you have heard of him, maybe you haven't. This character that ends up going back and joining with God in this like almost beam of light moment in our text. And Enoch, there's this almost uh, like this little hint that Enoch might be kind of the starter point of where Hanukkah really came from, that there was another group of people joining into the nomadic group of the Israelites, and they were trying to make sure everyone had their piece of holiday. And one of the really important ones, when things get dark. And Hanukkah was this moment of, again, solstice and celebrating of light. And so there's almost potentially this push in. And I only say that because, again, I'd have to go back and, and dive in deeper to find where I, where I first read that. But this this addition into pieces and allowing it to be absorbed into your holiday, that's nothing new. That's okay. But the Jewish tradition has often ended up being a facilitator of that beyond our own tradition. We already said Jews wrote a lot of the Christmas carols, but going even further, 15th, 16th, 17th century Germany, the Jews are starting to create some of the department store kind of sales of things. The first Christmas tree that starts in this pagan tradition then makes its way over to the Russian New Year tree gets borrowed and brought over to Germany in its kind of uh, industrialization piece as a display to sell gifts and do. And there's a lot 
of potential that it was actually the Jewish merchants at the time that brought this tradition over from Russia over to Germany that then later develops into the the Christian kind of holding up of the tree. And so for all for all we know there's a big influence that this symbol that today is the one that we struggle with the most might have been perpetuated by economy. Well, and it certainly wasn't about Christianity. So p- part of the question we were asking is, you know, if we really think about the December dilemma, what is the thing that triggers Jews the most? And I, I would dare to suggest it's a tree in a Jewish house, right? In a home where there are Jewish kids or a Jewish identity, that, that what is triggering for a lot of Jews is there a tree, is there being a tree in the living room? Like, I don't right. think anyone's walked by the village and seen the 50-foot tree in the middle no of it. No one like, cares. It's like, whatever. We, do I love tree. it? No. Like, because, again, my secular country becomes a Christian-identified culture, so I don't love it that there's a big old tree, but whatever. I get it that I am a minority, and I live in a majority secular Christian country. I think what happens – and Jews, for the most part, are not triggered by a tree in the middle of their mall – but I think Jews do really struggle with a tree in the house. So why is that? Like what 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 is it about that notion specifically? We see the tree everywhere, we identify the tree. You see a cookie in the shape of triangle, 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 rectangle. You're like, okay, it's a Christmas tree cookie. <laughs> like there's no there's no questions about it at all. It is part of our inherent cultural understanding around us. So what is it about the tree? In the house. More specifically, you kind of noted to the tree in a house that's a Jewish household. What is that? What is it that bothers us so much? Because, again, granted, they're different. Cross these skull and bones and witches and goblins in a Jewish house on Halloween doesn't, doesn't evoke that same kind of visceral tension. Mm-mm. So what is it about the Christmas tree in the home that does that? And I, I mean, I'm, I'm also, I'm curious for anyone else, like, what, what is it that does that? <laughs> yeah, why, why that? That's not even an explicitly Christian symbol. What, what is it that makes us so nuts? <laughs> so the threat of assimilation. Sure. That if, <clears throat> if you start with a Christmas tree, who knows what's next in terms of your, the strength of your Jewish identity and Jewish continuity in that family. And is it assimilation as in like they're going to take on to it or is it assimilation as in like it might be an invasion of our Jewish identity, right? Like again, there is a thing that we're supposed to do in December. We're supposed to take a really beautiful lamp and put it in the window. We're supposed to shine the light out into the community. So is it that we're afraid that we're going to turn around and look like everyone else when we're dressed like everyone else. We buy the same kind of homes as everyone else. We go to the grocery store like everyone else. Or is it like, so I don't, I don't know. I, I can't believe that it's just our homes will look like their homes and that's a problem because why aren't we worried the other 11 months of the year, right? So it has to do instead, for me at least, it's what's happening to our holiday symbol. What's happening to the symbol that we're supposed to do? Where is our menorah in the window? And if we end up bringing in this tree, decorating it with lights, making it the beautiful centerpiece, what happens to sharing our light on display with the menorah? And so I said, to that. Because we don't feel that way about the Easter bunny. We do not feel at all threatened at, 
or at least it's not been my experience, you know, of dealing with Jews my whole life. Jews do not feel as threatened by in the spring if they go and they have a egg hunt. I just don't feel like people freak out about Jews searching for something in the backyard the way they do about a Christmas tree in the living room. I, and we and we have a holiday in the spring as well. So if it's about if you have a tree you're going to eclipse the menorah, then why do we worry that the Easter bunny is going to eclipse yeah, Easter, the Seder? Easter's never really made it, right? Like <laughs> Christmas is if you are a company and you're thinking about your outreach in December and you don't do something Christmas, you are either looking specifically to be the company that doesn't or someone's getting fired. But then but it's, not Easter, about, it's not about being threatened, I don't think, because we're not threatened by – because I think our holiday in the spring has a lot of weight, and Hanukkah doesn't. But in this country, Hanukkah has certainly built up its weight. Mapitom, as giving presents to little kids as another materialistic, no, no, consumeristic not, holiday, no, it is not a holiday weight. of weight. No, if anything, you know where its weight came from? Riding the tail of Christmas. Well, sure, and competing with Christmas. I'm not even sure. It's, I mean, I, yes, I've Jews always Jews in Israel competed. do not give gifts at Hanukkah. Uh, a little bit of guilt. A little no, bit of guilt. No, no, that's it. A little guilt. No, my pitom. Um, no, yeah, a little guilt. That's it. They, they don't. It's not a big deal because it's not a big holiday. Right. So, but, but you think that's why. Like, if we threw, like, if Yom Kippur was in December, we'd be like, forget this tree. We've got, like, we've got a toning to do. We're all wearing white. We get to fast. Right? No, that might be worse. We get to fast. I'm saying that it's not a heavy. And admit what we've done wrong. Who can compete with that? How can a tree compete with that? No, I hear you, and I think that there's a valid concern to it, but I'm also, I I still, I feel like it's, look, if we're going to call it what it is, the menorah is the original symbol of Judaism. We can say all we want that it's a minor holiday, and it is. It is not a biblical holiday. It is a holiday that was formed later. It's a holiday that at best is questionable. We can get to that later, but we like to question this holiday. But the menorah is the original symbol. That was the symbol. It wasn't a Jewish star. Yeah, but That's that, medieval. But, but it, Jews it, do not really connect, I don't think, the, the menorah that we light for Hanukkah with, oh, this is our symbol of Judaism. They connect the Jewish star. They connect – I don't think – I don't think they take the Hanukkah to be the seven branch menorah. Like this is our thing, and it is going to get eclipsed by a tree. And then, though, I appreciate in the comments saying that the 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 Christmas tree is a Christian symbol. But as as we've already gone over, only as Christian as the Coca Cola version of Santa Claus is the version of Santa Claus they know and celebrate today, right? So these symbols are painfully not. Rooted in the church, like overtly so, not so, rooted in so the I'm church. I'm gonna tell you what I think is going on. I don't think it's that people are afraid it's gonna eclipse the menorah. I, I, I think what's going on is that part of the strength, the test of the strength for some of us growing up, of our Jewish identity was rooted in at the time of year when everyone else has a tree in their house, we Dafka do Don't. not. Yeah. It's not about my menorah is not good enough. It's that menorah, 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 no menorah. The latkes for me are far better than the menorah anyway. You can't put those right? in the window. Right? Well, really. Yeah, hello though, but that's what the holiday, like that's what you live for. That, that's what we got to compete with everything is fried potatoes. So 
But it, I think what it is is that we said we don't do what everybody else in this country does and that that was a way that we were firmly rooted in a minority identity and that Jews are a minority in this country and that that's when December's when we really feel that we're a minority. And so, so I think the trigger for us is that, well, wait, if you do that, you're not you're not rooted in that identity that that Hanukkah was about, by the way. What's Hanukkah about? What is one of the themes of Hanukkah? What is it celebrating? Is not assimilating. That they fought to not assimilate, to take back the temple and the right to do their rites and rituals that made them different from the Hellenizing impulses all around them. Because the impulse was to Hellenize. That was... That was how you were accepted. You would get a lot further in life. It seemed more enlightened. And so I think that's what we're still kind of struggling with is if I put a tree, which is what the Hellenizers are doing, in my house, then on some level, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying I think that's the trigger point is then what does it mean about my minority Jewish identity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think what, what's what's interesting and what's evolving for us is I think that was that was very true when you had two Jews in the house. When you had two Jewish adults, to bring the tree in felt like, wait a minute, that's like hosting an Easter egg hunt in the backyard, our backyard for all the kids in the neighborhood. I think what's interesting is now that we have so many households where the tree is there because one of the parents grew up with the tree, the parent is raising Jewish children but loves the tree. And because it's Dafka, not a Christian symbol, it makes it okay. It's a safer, okayer way to connect with their past tradition without it being overtly religious. And, and I think we're seeing a lot, a lot more of that. Homes where somebody grew up with a Christmas yeah. tree and they still have it in the house, even as they live as full on, fully identified, fully positive, amazing Jews. Kayla? Wait, your boss has a Christmas tree in their home? Dad's Catholic, mom's Jewish. There's a menorah ornament. Oh, no, it was a big part of Shark Tank like six or seven years ago. There was a tree topper, Jewish star, and tree topper menorah. But but I I actually want to go back a little further than that. You went into Hanukkah. Let's be very real here. Which side would you have been on? Was it really the Maccabees saving tradition or was it a group of zealot Jews being afraid that the Jews who were willing to put one foot in each world, was it actually that they were losing Judaism or were they doing exactly what we do today? Well, well if we're talking about Hellenization, we're talking about the obliteration of Jewish tradition. But that wasn't and they didn't the have the temple and they weren't allowed to worship in the temple. That was exactly but, what the Hasmoneans were fighting for. But Yes, but there was still a group of people who were being able to, like, we have Hellenistic, Hellenistic names inside of our Bible because it did work. They were inside of both worlds until a group said, this is never going to work. And we have that through the rest of our history, and we do wait, that wait, right wait, now. Wait, 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 wait. Don't you think it's different that they didn't just reach an ad con, like, it's gone too far? That's not what happened. They didn't have the right to worship with their own worship. They didn't have that right. They so they say for the right to have their own traditions. I just fear that we sometimes are lifting up the part of the story that makes it convenient. But the reality is I'm also very proud of the fact that we can have one foot in each door. 
that we don't have sure. to find exclusively Jewish spaces. So why don't you talk about the Haredim? So, okay, right, because you, 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 we're going into minority. Because why majority. not? We're going into Let's talk about majority. Strimals, because right. well, that's next on our that's, list. That's on our list, because I actually think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> if you're asking this question about minority versus living in the majority, what is one of the iconic symbols today of being Jewish is the Haredim. And remaining in a tiny minority yes. that resists all assimilation. And they proudly say, we don't use the internet. We're not going into those restaurants. We're not even going to live in those cities unless it's in New Jersey, in which case we're going to take over the school board and then co-opt all their money, but that's another case altogether. Okay. But they're going to wear this clothing, and we look and say, look, they're dressed anciently. Traditionally They're Jewish. dressed like Polish Gentiles in the 17th century. They were as as assimilated as anyone else. They were dressing like them and working in the same industries and engaging, and then someone said, whoa. We're going to lose it. We're going to repeat the story of Hanukkah. We're going to be afraid right now that we're going to lose all versions of identity. And therefore, let's pause. Let's cut ourselves off from society and let's not change anymore from now. But they're wearing giant fur hats. You think they had those in Jerusalem at the time? It's a ridiculous notion that the Haredim dress in a way that shows they got to do it. Although there is is a joke um, in the very religious Jewish community about that we know Jacob, from Torah, we know that Jacob wore a strimal. And it says so in the Torah. And how do we know from Torah that Jacob wore a strimal? Because in last week's Torah portion, it said, Vayetze Yaakov. So Yaakov went out. Would Yaakov go out without a strimal? <laughs> but, this, but this notion, that joke actually encompasses all of it, and that like they got to choose when to pause. And now they get to be lifted up as the group that didn't make any adjustment ever. It's not true. And so if we can look and we can change that piece of history and change our perspective and change what that symbol means, why is it that here, what is the difference between the ultra-Orthodox community that paused in the 17th century, 18, 1700s, 18th century, what is the difference between the group that paused then and stopped changing their dress and therefore still dress in this very obscure way that does not reflect the beginnings of our tradition at all? What is the difference between that and part of this conversation? I don't have a Christmas tree in my house. I, quite frankly, also don't understand why I would drag a living tree into my home and then have to get rid of it weeks later. Like it just, it well, doesn't vacuum it, up the needles. No, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But I do. I still very proudly <laughs> identify as not having those pieces. I almost feel like I'm in the club that doesn't need it, that does it differently. We have an obnoxious amount of Hanukkah stuff because we're so proud to have. I, I tell people every year, this is a mistake to say on Zoom, but that I don't believe in a decorative menorah. If I own it, we are lighting it. And I told friends that, and now we have 14. And so it is a very busy Hanukkah. On the last night, we have about 150 candles that get lit. It is a very, very beautiful well, and experience. Barb here on the chat is talking about, you know, arson, that her grandchildren are deeply connected right. to the menorah because of arson. Like, you can set it's fire to the house. Fire, you can, right. like, burn, a, so burn what, the whole but, thing down. But why? Why are we so viscerally afraid of some of these pieces of American culture now fusing in that we are acknowledging the Christmas tree wasn't Christian. It wasn't Catholic. It was pagan. It was the Russian New Year tree still exists. You go, there's Russian Jews that bring this tree, the evergreen, into their homes. They don't decorate it the same way, but they bring it into their homes two weeks later. And actually, by the way, they think it's a great deal because they buy the trees that are left on after sale. Christmas. Right, of course. It's the on sale well, that would be one. the That's Jewish answer. That to bring back in. But they, but they bring it in. And so why, like, if we <laughs> even see it in the group that prides itself on 
specifically not engaging in society. Well, and what's funny is I'm the one who hates Christmas. I'm the one who like hates it. You know, the country becomes this other alternate like reality all of a sudden. We're all going to be nice to each other because it's Christmas. Um, as much as I hate that, I am deeply not troubled by the tree in the house. So I, who am like so like anti like Christmas everywhere and the materialism and the shallowness and the whatever. And now we become religious in some way that's like really not about religion. And by the way, my pastor friends, my close Christian pastor friends hate what's happened to Christmas too. They hate it for the same reason I do. They're like, cause it's not about Jesus and the values that Jesus stood for fighting for, you know, the oppressed, fighting poverty, fighting all those things. Like it's become this commercial, awful American consumerist festival of consumption. And so they hate it too. Like for the, a lot of the reasons I hate it, but I also hate it because it's like now of, like my kid, it's like, that's, that's not my gas station anymore all of a sudden. But, but here's the thing. Ironically, I agree with Kaplan, Mordechai Kaplan, the founder That's of ironic. our movement. It's ironic that you agree with Kaplan. No, it's ironic that I hate Christmas and yet, and yet agree with Kaplan that it was a pagan tree. It was not overtly a symbol of Christianity. They reconstructed it. We reconstruct things all the time and take them into our culture, including wearing a strimal, you know, and this coat with a, a girdle because it was the dress of Polish Gentile gentry in the 1700s. That was a sign of assimilation at one time. Now it's a sign of being ultra Jewish, like the most Jewish you can be. And I agree with Kaplan that, that the Jewish people will decide what's Jewish. And if someday people have, you, you can tell the household what religion it is or whether they have a green and red tree and a white and blue tree or just a green and red tree or just a white and blue. Like I, th- I think if eventually the, it gets reconstructed that at this season, the tree becomes a symbol of, you know, whatever being together, being part of American blah, blah, blah. And Jews dress it up Jewishly. Who cares? Like Kaplan felt like if that becomes legitimately a symbol of Hanukkah at some point, like, because people joke about, oh, a Hanukkah bush as if. And it's like, okay, well, what if 200 years from now, every Jewish home has a Hanukkah bush? And if you don't, you are not taking Hanukkah seriously. Like, what if that really happened? I'm like, I, I trust the Jewish people too. I'm with Kaplan on this one, ironically, that, that if we decide a tree in the house in the winter dressed up with Jewish stuff becomes a way to celebrate Hanukkah, who cares? Yeah. Well, in some ways, we're already we there. You said in Caleb? some ways there are people who are there and I will admit though, I generally, on, so generally I'm on that side. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, you celebrate your Judaism in whatever way you can bring it into the, into the conversation. This is one of those spots where I want to support it and I do support it. And I can't do it. I can't bring myself yeah. to do it. Because we're not there. What I'm saying is 200 years from now, we might be there. We're not there yet. And we're not uncomfortable, by the way, with doing other secular or even maybe original. Like Halloween. Yeah, like Halloween. Like the fact that I'm definitely going to wear a green yarmulke in the middle of March. 
right? Like like St. Patrick's Day. I was going to be as a St. Patrick's Day. Which is, you do need the calendar out. But so but so I'm definitely going to do that. And that's like overtly like, why? Why bother on that day? I'm definitely going to. Why? Because someone's going to pinch me if not. Well, right? And like, I'm like, and I'm I found out I'm genetically half Irish. So right. I have to wear green now. But we're like, okay. We we're okay doing this in so many other spaces. And I think part of what I'm feeling in a very real way is it's not going to be in my home this generation, but I'm going to teach my kids about the immense necessity of bringing Jewish pride into whatever their experience becomes. Because if I hang my hat on not a Christmas tree, then what happens when there is a tree? But if I, if I really focus instead on how are you going to bring your Judaism into the experience in this time? Then instead, we get the opportunity to say, like, I don't know, maybe my kids will have a tree. And if they do, you bet your butt there's going to be some menorahs hanging on it. And there's going to be a different, and there's going to be a differentiation because we're going to make sure that their pride is the most important piece. And I think that's the real dilemma here. The what, dilemma, what's the dilemma? The dilemma I think that I'm feeling in December is that we, we have to do it a different way. How I operate the rest of the year, my immense Jewish pride is always there. But here I have to figure out a way to stop having a visceral reaction to the tree. It doesn't mean one's going to be in my home. Right. But if I consistently have this visceral reaction, that's going to get so passed So your, your dilemma too. is that you have a reaction and you yeah. don't want one. Well, not that I don't want one. I need to make sure that doesn't get passed to my kids. Because the the they, reaction. Because they need to trust in where the Jewish people are going to take this. And if not, that's when we end up with these like firm lines where they say, wait, wait, I, how dare you do this? I have of my 12 first cousins, there are three Christmas trees in the homes now. And we were at one of their houses last week and my kids said, how come they get to have a Christmas tree? And the answer was very clear that their, their dad uh, grew up Christian and really loves this tree. And then, okay, then moved on for now. But like, we're going to have to keep massaging that message and like really get into that your pride i'm not telling you how to live out your pride but i've lived it out in this way my identity is in a very deep and loving way tied to not the christmas tree and i have to make sure that i don't tie their identity to that because i don't right. know what so so i want to close because people are already starting to drop off can you believe it like it's like you know, 15 minutes left people are like we're done um we're done we're out we're out services we're told where we're the out. cookies That's so before we lose everybody um so i want to end there i want to end and we'll we'll take questions and comments or whatever we'll sit here forever but um I, but the formal part of it i want to close with okay so what is a message because i feel like Kanika does get lost in the goodwill to all mankind um because it's christmas Aye. like where, where, what for you is a point of Jewish pride at Hanukkah that you do want your kids to hang their identity on? You know, like Hanukkah for that they can live into as grown-ups and be proud of, not just presents and a menorah. So one of my, uh, some would call it obnoxious qualities, other would call it endearing qualities. I'll leave it to all of you. Is this notion of I love to study where the argument lies. <laughs> And that we, we know Hillel says light the candles one to eight because the miracle grows each day. Starting with the first Starting night. Starting with the first night and, and do building. two candles, then three candles, then four candles, then five candles. And Shammai says that doesn't make any sense. We're talking about oil that shouldn't have lasted lasting, which means each day there's less oil. Start with eight candles and build your way down. And mixed with the idea that we don't waste a menorah in our home, so we have this gigantic table full of menorahs, we have all but two of them in Hillel's way. And then two of our Hanukkiot 
our Shammai's way. And tell me why. And we start with that for two reasons. A, I love this vibrancy of light, So, I'm, but, but I love the idea that the opposing view doesn't need to fully be dismissed, that we can actually still champion the dissenting view and that there is space inside of our tradition and more importantly inside of this world to honor the view that did the opposite because there is beauty to Shammai's view. And so if we're going to share that light and we're going to make sure that there's a vibrant light coming from our homes to show other people that, yes, it's dark, but there is life here. There is something to celebrate here. There is warmth and there is safety here. I think that should include all voices. And so in our family, that is something we really, really make clear is that menorah is different because it's okay to see the world differently. And, and you know, it reminds me of what you were talking about earlier with the Talmud and, and Mishnah, that we codified law, but we... So, and, and the, the Romans were doing the same thing at the same time. The Jews were doing the same things the Romans were doing is codifying their law. Um, and in Roman thing, there was all this argument in the Senate. There was all this argument. And then they published the code, like where, where the agreement was, where the debate got won. That was the codification of the law. Jews codified the argument, the argument right? That because, because it was valuing the other opinion, but it was also that there's wisdom in the other opinion that today might not be win the day, but tomorrow conditions could change. And you might need to go back and to the you argument. might need to but then you've lost the wisdom. If you don't codify the other side's argument, you've lost the wisdom of that argument that might actually be what you want to decide tomorrow. So what about you? What's your takeaway? Um for me, I think it's that whether it's the return of the light, S-U-N, or the return of the light, the S-O-N, the sun, Jesus, or the sun in the sky, other, the other traditions, pagan or Christian, celebrated the return of the light, right? That Jesus was the light come of, of redemption from sin and, and the saving of humanity from sin and the return of the sunlight meant the return of life and growth and all of that is great. I'm not saying that's not great. What I love, though, is that when do we celebrate Hanukkah? We're on a lunar calendar, so we don't go by the sun, right? So solstice has nothing to do with Hanukkah because we're on a lunar calendar. So when do we celebrate? Hang on one sec, Mary, because I'll forget what I'm saying because um, I'm that old. Um, we when we for, we see already forgot. Doesn't no worries, no worries. Doesn't huh? come from the sun. Doesn't come from the sun. Right? So we are on a lunar calendar. We light the menorah at the darkest moon, the darkest part of the moon in the darkest lunar and solar month of the year. We don't wait for any evidence that the light is going to come back. We do not light a menorah for solstice, that the sunlight's coming back, the days are getting longer, or there's been born a savior who will save us from ourselves. Like, that is not Jewish. The Jews, what do we do? We light this one little candle, because Hillel won. We light this one little candle on the darkest part of the moon, the darkest part of the year, with no evidence that it's going to get any lighter that it's going to get any better. And the original story of Hanukkah is that there was only one cruise of oil. Why didn't they wait till there was enough for seven days? Like, wait, who lights a menorah for a seven-day festival when you have a cruise of oil to last for one day? Who does that? 
The Jews do that and and have done for centuries since that we light the light when there's no evidence that it's going to work, when there's no evidence that the oil's going to last, when there's no evidence that we have any business even lighting lights. And for me, that just doesn't seem to get tired or old because there's always a way in which we feel, unfortunately, that it's so dark. Like, what is lighting one little light going to do? But if you do that every night, over and over and over, you create this menorah, this thing which actually dispels a lot of darkness. And that's the way it's always worked. That's the way it's always going to work as long as there are human beings who are in charge of anything. <laughs> like That's how it's going to be. And I think that's a really important message Always, but particularly, and I say it now, but I say it every year, particularly this year, right? That, that I just think that's a message that doesn't get old, and it's a message that says to our kids, it doesn't matter that you don't see the result of, of what you're working hard at right now. It doesn't matter. You, you have to trust that if we just keep doing that, we build a menorah, that which gives light. The moon does not generate its own light. Right, it reflects the light of the sun. Beautiful. So, right, taking from that, that we're a lunar calendar, that we we can reflect the great light. That is kind of our job. Mary, that is so beautifully said, that we are here, our job is to reflect the light of the great light, capital L. And I think that's why Hanukkah is such a message. It's not because the sun's returning. It's not, it's that we reflect a light that's bigger, that, that's bigger than us. And we can each be reflectors of that light. That is so beautifully I know it's not a major holiday. I know. But it, 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 I think it, it goes back to that darn calendar. They're just, it, the holidays are placed at the right moment with the right message for us to really tangibly feel it. And this is just one of those perfect examples. Whether or not it's a biblical holiday, that the rabbis are like, this, this matters. This needs to be here at this time. And that the rabbis reconstructed it. They wanted to move away from the nationalistic victory over the Syrian Greeks, and they wanted to move it to a holiday being about light, being about yeah. the dark time of the year and the and the miracle of something that wasn't supposed to last very long, you know, going way further than they thought it could. And that that's our job too. And um, that's why we have a sustainability film here at KI because it was one of the ways that we could reconstruct it for adults. Because one of my grievances is that Hanukkah has become so pediatrified. Um, and that we don't really relate to it as adults. But that whole idea of a sustainability effort, a push at Hanukkah, is because one cruise of oil needs to last eight times longer than it does now. Um, and so conservation and figuring out ways to, to do that is is one of the ways to live into uh, an adult Jewish understanding of, of the meaning of Hanukkah. Thank you all for coming and joining us in this conversation. Uh, it is truly so nice that there is a want to have the kind of conversation where we just realize we don't have the ending necessarily. Right. And it's really about the argument, about the conversation, about where we're going to go with it. George, I love the... George the, the has gifts. got his Christmas and Hanukkah blankets right next to each other over him, which is very hilarious to see. So, um, we're so glad all of you chose to join us. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being uh, at home with us. And uh, happy Hanukkah. And um, let us move into this time of darkness, um, you know, trusting um, that uh, together we are each a reflector of the great light. And when we bring those flames together, we create something that dispels 
a whole lot more darkness than when we try to do it alone. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen.